Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Paganism, shamanism, what do these ideas mean to you? Did you know that a lot of controversial views on these topics are based upon misconceptions? Welcome to Spiritually Speaking, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Needs with Lady Red Hawk, a.k.a. Susie Peltier. We will explain these practices in depth and provide new opportunities and perspectives to change your life. Now, here is Lady Red Hawk. I'm Lady Red Hawk, and this is Spiritually Speaking, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Needs. Today's show is 50 Years of Witchcraft, Where to Now, with my special guest, Raven Gramasi. Raven is an acclaimed author who has literally written the Encyclopedia of Wicca and Witchcraft, along with 13 other books on neo-paganism, Wicca, and Witchcraft. And today's show, we're going to be discussing witchcraft, its past, its present, and its future. Um, if you want to get in on our conversation with a question or comment, please, you can email me at info at suzypeltier.com, S-U-Z-Y-P-E-L-T-I-E-R.com, or phone in at 1-866-472-5795. But before we get started, I'd like to say that while... There are many traditions in Wicca, and we're going to really kind of talk uh, about this today, um, how Wicca is growing and in what directions it's going and so forth. The, it's, uh, the traditions are like denominations in Christianity. These trads vary widely in their perspectives and practices, but we agree on two basic points. Wicca is a nature worship, and we have nothing to do with the devil, and we're going to talk very much specifically about that issue first off. But um, I also want to say that I'm not even pretending to speak for all Wiccans. <laughs> I don't think anybody can. Um, we're way too individualized uh, voices. But um, I'm coming from a perspective of a tradition I developed about 20 years ago called Taoist Wicca, or I should say it's been evolving over 20 years, which combines a spiritual coaching system with a spiritual ritual practice. So, um, again, if you have a question or comment, it's 866-472-5795. So, hail and welcome, Raven. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. I'm quite thank, quite well, thank you. And um, happy eve of equinox. It's the vernal equinox. We call it yes, the Stara. Indeed. Yes, it's a time yeah. of balance when uh, the day and night are equal. So it's uh, very exciting for for pagans because it marks uh, planting, full planting. Right. Cycle. And then the sun goes into Aries, which is my sign. So. I kind of like <laughs> right. <laughs> You're going to be on fire. <laughs> I have an, um, uh, my, uh, rising sign is Aries. So oh. that may be how we, how we connect. Um, anyway, this, today's, um, show is a really broad based topic. You're, we're going to be talking about the, the history of, uh, of Wicca and kind of where it's going. And um, that, in some ways, is kind of anybody's guess. But um, let me start out with asking you, Raven, if um, – let me tell you a little bit about Raven for those of you who don't know how um, 
remarkable he is. He's a neo-pagan scholar, award-winning author. He's penned over 14 books on witchcraft, Wicca, and neo-paganism. He's devoted over 40 years to the study and practice of witchcraft. He's the founder and co-director of Fellowship of the Pentacle and Modern Mystery Tradition of Pre-Christian European Beliefs and Practices. Um, Gramasi's backgrounds include training in old forms of witchcraft as well as Britic, Wicca, the Pictish Gaelic tradition, and Celtic traditions. Uh, he's also a member of the Rosicrucian Order and studied the Kabbalah through the First Temple of Tefaris with uh, Lady Sarah Cunningham. Um, and then un- studied under a whole bunch of people. I am, s- and the way to reach him is www.fellowshipofthepentacle.com or www.ravengramasi.net and very soon www.houseofgramasi.com. So welcome and, um, tell, us all again about the horrific smear campaign and the connection between um, the devil and how it got um, uh, attached to witchcraft. Right. Well, you know, it's a story that not a lot of people know because we've been, you know, essentially fed the uh, the official history of witchcraft, which is um, the academic history and. One thing that we have to realize is that the academic history of, of witchcraft is not what they call an ethnographic study. Mm-hmm. Now, what an ethnographic study is, if you're going to study a people, you know, like say a tribe, the Zambudi tribe in you know Africa, you have to either go live with the Zambudi or live with people that know the Zambudi very well in order to do an official history and study of that culture. Well, we don't have that with witchcraft because these are people that weren't witches. So our history of witchcraft comes from non-witches and their beliefs about witches, witchcraft, and Satan. So these people weren't even involved in the practice, and yet um, this is what scholars use to present the official history of witchcraft. So that's the most important thing to think of initially is that our history, our so-called official history of witchcraft, is not derived from a people known to be witches. It's derived from people who weren't witches and had thoughts about witches. So when you look at that and then you look at the fact that it really wasn't until around the 15th century of the Christian era that Satan, uh, the devil, becomes associated specifically with witchcraft. Um, And that's quite a long time. You would think if this was going on, it would have been noticed in the first thousand years, you know, of Christianity that witches were associated with the devil, and they really weren't. Um, they were always seen in negative ways, certainly. But some of the earliest writings um, show up where witches uh, in the Christian era, where witches are actually shown to be people that speak with spirits of the dead, and they do magic at the crossroads and, you know, that type of thing. But the devil's not there, and there is no Sabbath at this time. The, the Sabbath doesn't show up in writings and records until, like I said, around the 15th, 14th, 15th centuries when you start seeing writings about that. So the devil and its association with witchcraft is entirely inventive. It's a concoction um, of various people, theologians, uh, the church, and its agents. And what you find is there were two key figures. There was St. Jerome and St. Augustine. Uh, they were theologians, and they were the ones that started pushing it in that direction, um, still the devil wasn't associated with witchcraft at that time, but they said that the pagan gods were demons in disguise and that anything that was non-Christian was was diabolical and, you know, therefore had to be, uh, you know, resisted, rooted out, or whatever you know, might be the case. So this is an early sort of undermining of paganism where they want people to believe that this is diabolical and evil and you shouldn't be doing it. Um, Satan comes along, you know, much, much later in the picture. And that's when it really becomes a rough spot, you know, for witches. Because they have this character. And witchcraft, by the 15th century, is defined for the first time as a sect that has um, uh, pacts with the devil. And uh, gathers at sabbats and then does all these heinous things at a sabbat. 
But for the for over a thousand years prior to that in the Christian era, there is no mention of that. So, like I said, if that was real and that was going on, why wasn't it noticed for over a thousand years? <laughs> well, the same thing it kind of goes. It's an even older slam campaign against women and uh, against the goddess and um, and matriarchies is this. Um, uh, the way the Eden story was written, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a funny story um, because again, you know, they they try to tie that into the devil. Although the serpent character in the garden is is not labeled the devil uh, in any of the those early writings, it's referred to you know in retrospect later on and, and years you know after that. But you have um, Eve, you know, is sort of labeled with the fall of humankind, you know, that her her so-called sin of eating this fruit from this tree that God said you can't eat from, you know, resulted in her causing all women from that point forward to have pain in childbirth mm-hmm. and to be subservient to man. And, you know, it's just this odd thing, like, you know, it's like, okay, that's odd. <laughs> Interesting story, but why, you know, and why was this one tree, you know, forbidden? And, you know, Eve is actually labeled as being tricked by the the serpent. But mm-hmm. I think we talked to the other show, you know, there was no trick. Because the, the serpent just simply asked her, you know, why she won't eat from this tree. And she says, because God said that in the day I eat of the tree, I'll die. And the serpent says, well, no, you won't die. You'll, you'll know good and evil, the difference between good and evil, but you won't die. And she kind of likes that idea of having that knowledge, so she eats it, and sure enough, she knows the difference between good and evil, and she doesn't die. So the do- the uh, serpent was actually telling the truth. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. And so this is kind of weird that, that she's painted as being tempted because there really wasn't a temptation. Um, at least the serpent wasn't tempting her. He just was telling her the facts. Mm-hmm. And she makes a decision based upon that. But this, as you said, is probably the earliest malignment of the female in trying to see her as sort of the source of all problems. And later on in, in Christian um, theology, the woman becomes a temptress herself and um, causes men to sin with lustful thoughts. Right, right. Well, the other the other thing Joseph Campbell points out about that story is that um, the Old Testament uh, was, of course, uh, came out of Judaism, and Judaism was a patriarchy, solar worship, and uh, they didn't like their neighbors much, who were the Canaanites, who were goddess worshippers, and the snake was a um, symbol of the goddess. Right. So he proposed that um, it was a a political story, very much set against the Hebrews' current enemy, i.e., the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that would make perfect sense. You know, it seems to be human nature not to like competition. <laughs> So what you do is you malign your competition, you know, that's, and uh, make people want to turn away from your competition and turn towards you. That's a, that's a well-practiced uh, thing among humans. Well, you have to, you have to demonize the enemy, right. dehumanize the enemy. It, um, yeah. Campbell speaks a lot about that as well. That that we have to transform that that the from the the natural man from nature worship we would get everything as a thou, you know, mm-hmm. a safe being in and of itself. Right. And yet, um, when, um, when you, uh, uh, excuse me, brain fart. Uh, <laughs> but, but when you trans, you, in order to make an enemy, you have to make it an it. Because it's easier to kill if it's an it. That's if it's true. That's that, what happens, though, people will come up with nicknames for the enemy, you know, the, to dehumanize them. Right. Um, right. You know, Vietnam is one classic. You know, they call the enemy gooks. Right. You know, it's easier to kill a gook than, than a, a human. So, right. 
Exactly. Um, you know, there's different different things like that, uh, and and with witches, it's the same. I mean, they they made them diabolical and vile and offensive, and so you know, no one really objected to the ill treatment of these people. Right. Whereas if they just saw them as their neighbor, you know, being uh, charged with these crimes and knew their neighbor to be a nice person, that would be very difficult for them to support. <laughs> yes. You know. Well, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Susie Peltier, Lady Red Hawk, offers private sessions of massage therapy, hypnotherapy, spiritual consultations, Reiki sessions, and trainings in San Francisco, California. She is available for in-person lectures as well as webcasts on a variety of topics such as stress management, holism, motivational speaking, and developing personal spirituality. Susie can also personalize a healing session or a spiritual consultation for you through Skype or by phone using hypnotherapy and distance sessions of Reiki. Susie is a reverend with the Universal Life Church and a third-degree Wiccan priestess performing interfaith pastoral duties such as hospice and family counseling, in addition to a variety of personalized rites such as weddings, house clearings, and memorials. Susie is currently taking applications for students in Wicca and offers circle trainings as well as priest and priestess initiation study programs. To find out more about Susie as a healer, teacher, and priestess, visit her website, www.susiepeltier.com. Email her at info at susiepeltier.com or visit the Facebook page to find out more about Taoist Wicca. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You are listening to Spiritually Speaking, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Needs with Lady Red Hawk. We would love to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about this week's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at suzypeltier.com. Now, back to Spiritually Speaking. So, welcome back. I'm here with Raven Gramasi, author of 14 books on Wicca, witchcraft, and paganism. And we're talking about how it was that uh, Wicca, witchcraft, got such a bad rap. And before we leave that question, I wonder if you have a, a comment, too, that they also, in the spin, uh the church was performing a great land grab as well as a social social uh, purging. It was getting rid of the misfits, but also confiscating their property. And yeah, that, that is certainly a part of it. But, you know, it would be a smaller part of it in regards that most of the accused were poor. Mm. Um, you know, it's more difficult to go after wealthy people because they have allies and friends and, you know, can afford lawyers and that type of thing. So it was easier to pick off the peasants. And um, so it probably wasn't highly lucrative, but, you know, when they could find someone accused of sorcery or witchcraft or whatever who had lands, they certainly did take them. They confiscated all their goods. They even did that with the poor. They took their whatever property they had and usually sold it to to pay for the torturing and, you know, that. Mm. Pay for your own execution, huh? Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, you had to pay for all that, you know, no. (laughs) <laughs> and certainly no discount, you know, the witchcraft <laughs> discount, no. Uh, you had to pay for that, and um, so, yeah. But, you know, one thing I want to I mention, though, I think that's important to understand, is that if we, if we regard witches as pre-Christian, you know, and there certainly are pre-Christian writings about witches, we have to bear in mind that in Europe, pre-Christian Europe, there was no devil figure in their religions, myths, and legends. The devil is an import that comes from the Middle East into Europe later on. So 
So I think that's really key because you don't see writings about the Satan character in pre-Christian literature about witchcraft. What you do see, though, is goddesses. Um, in the Greek and Roman writings in particular, witches are always having dealings with Hecate, Diana, Proserpina, goddesses of that nature. Um, so that's important to kind of factor in that before the rise of Christianity, it's all witches and goddesses. And then after the rise of Christianity, then you have this devil character introduced as the, you know, their, their main focus for worship. Again, where was he for all those thousands of years? Now the church said, well, he was appearing in the form of the goddess, so he tricked you. Mm-hmm. You know, you go, oh, he tricked us, that little rascal. <laughs> I guess we'll just give up all of our, you know, centuries of belief then because that, yeah. Well, and it, it lent it's, itself. Uh, you know, it's a diabolically clever argument that the church came up with. Well, yes, and to usurp the horned one, the mm-hmm. hunting totem, that is probably one of the oldest Paleolithic uh, forms of deity, you might say. Right. Uh, well, you know, we, we, we can be certain that pagans, you know, prior to Christianity, certain pla- certainly placed value on, on uh, horned deities, uh, deities of the woodland, uh, mm-hmm. deities of sun and moon, you know, and that these things do show up, and in particular in modern witchcraft, there's certainly a deep connection with those things. Um, but there would be very argu- very many arguments uh, today over the history and lineage and connection of all of this. You know, this is a thing to be bandied about these days, but certainly the spiritual lineage is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, who were... Um who were the people who were most influential in your development, Raven? Oh, in mine in particular. Hmm. Well, out you know, outside of my my personal teachers, you know, if I look to the the greater outer outer community, um, the writings of Charles Leland, who was a folklorist, um, you know, certainly resonated with uh, much of what I was uh, previously taught. And then um, in the 70s, I started reading books that were, you know, by some of the, the very well-known people now, um, many of you are, have, have crossed, uh, Gerald Gardner, Doreen Valente, Alex Sanders, Stuart Ferrer, um, you know, individuals like that. One of the first books I actually read in the 70s was by Ray Buckland. I think mm-hmm. it was Witchcraft from the Inside, I think it was called. Mm. And, um, you know, I saw so much in that that was so familiar to me from my previous training. I was like, wow, other people are doing this, you know, and apparently on a much larger scale than I ever realized. And, um, you know, and so it was interesting, you know, but so much has changed since those early days and these early um, movers and shakers, you know, who really devoted their lives and, and made it possible for, you know, modern practitioners to be doing all the things that that we are today. This wasn't the case back, you know, in the early 50s and 60s when a lot of these people first appeared. Mm -hmm. What what do you think triggered the resurgence beginning in the 50s? Well, you know, we had come out of the, what many people call the Romantic era, the Victorian age, and that was kind of a return to, to gods and goddesses, if you think about it. You look at the artwork and even the way that furniture was carved and, all of a sudden, there's this sort of romantic idea of this idyllic uh, pagan paradise motif, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it set the stage. People started kind of wanting that that earthy god and goddess thing because we were moving from the 1800s into the industrial age, you know, and people were going off to factories and things. And I think part of the human spirit wanted to still be rooted in something non-mechanical, you know, something organic and earthly. So the old gods, I think, had great appeal. And then, of course, you had, you know, Gerald Gardner, who, who most people, you know, know about. Uh, Gerald Gardner wrote uh, some of the first books on Wiccan witchcraft in the 50s and 60s. Um, and uh, he claimed to have found a um, uh, hereditary coven in the New Forest area and uh, that he had been taught by them and initiated into this uh, thing that he called witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And that took off. You know, you had Doreen Valente, another uh, famous person who worked with him for years and uh, wrote a lot of the um, versions that we have today of things like The Charge of the Goddess, for example. 
Um, you know, so you have these incredibly talented people, inventive and innovative people, and bold people. I mean, you have to realize back in the the fifties when they were talking about witchcraft, it was still seen in very negative ways and could could really create problems for you. <clears throat> you could lose your job and you know have your kids taken away, and uh, your neighbors would want you out of their neighborhood. You know, not that places like that still don't exist because they do. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was I think even bolder to come out and say, you know, you were you were a witch. So, if um, one of the things that I've that I've been noticing in the recent political climate is this horrific um, assault on women and a backhanded kind of a, a, the, the, the fundamentalist Christian right seems mm-hmm. to be gunning for bear um, yeah. and shooting in every direction, um, yeah. but certainly at women's rights, which, yeah. again, I kind of wonder if at least subconsciously they're not gunning for the goddess again. Well, you know, in, in a way, you know, that's probably true. It's the feminine spirit, you know. Um, a lot of these people in, in the, on the right, you know, a lot of these people that are deeply immersed in fundamental Christianity have very archaic ideas, uh, that are rooted in what I would say misinterpretations of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, um, they definitely think of women as second class citizens. Um, that they should be subjective to their husbands or, or men in general. Um, and apparently they want to, again, strip them of all rights of, for their own body. You know, what happens to you when you're raped or pregnant or, you know, any birth control, all these issues of a woman's right to her own body, they want to take that away again. So it is sort of a an attack on the, on the feminine uh Population certainly, and and I could, by extension, say on the feminine spirit. Mm-hmm. Then, do you see these things cyclical? Because uh, Wicca and and at least alternative spiritualities have been, I think, on the on the rise for the most part of mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. the fifties. Yeah, you, you know, it's. Um, I, I think you know, like in the sixties and seventies when occultism, you know, reappeared and you had a lot of people into astrology and witchcraft and magic and all the stuff like that. It was sort of, you know, not taken too seriously because it was also the hippie era and, you know, and I think that the generation at that time just thought, well, these people are just, you know, silly and believe in stupid things and they weren't that worried about it. And, <laughs> but now, you know, I think, I think that that mentality, um, the right wing mentality is looking at the dynamics of now we have festivals and conventions and the internet information, you know, sites that are pagan sites and, you know, and, and shops all over the place, you know, these are things that they never envisioned. Because back in the 60s, you didn't have that. You had very few occult shops. If you could find any in your town, you know, you were extremely lucky. There was no internet. You know, you found people in very difficult ways. Um, to have any kind of companionship. So it wasn't a threat back then. I think it's a threat to the right wing now because there's a lot of us and we're everywhere. And, um, you know, they don't like that. Um, they, they want things to be, you know, in their view of normality. You know, um, why they would want that, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I think that would be rather boring. But they, they seem to kind of want to turn the clock back a few centuries and, and start over. Well, they're going for a monotheism, that's for sure. Remember, you know, oh, yeah. how, uh, how menoral, um, uh, came, sounded before stereo. <laughs> 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 they, they want one pitch, one note, <laughs> and, um, no two har- two part harmonies allowed. So, well, you know, uh, one God is, is, is easier for simpler minds to track, you know. Um, mm-hmm. multiple gods call for some intelligence. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> Sorry, that was rude. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so, Raven, if you would kindly tell us a little bit about the the timeline and the various trads that um, took the spotlight and how they've um, um, 
integrated into the thing we call loosely Wicca or witchcraft now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I was saying, there, you know, there was um, back in the in the sixties period, there was there were really very few uh, traditions and practitioners, especially compared to today. And a lot of that changed, you know, based upon material that started coming and people were filling in the cracks and looking at books like The White Goddess and The Golden Bough and drawing upon uh, that material. And a lot of that uh, formed uh, some of the Celtic traditions that we saw forming in the 1970s. Um, the interesting thing is that there had been in, um, in, in Britain what they now call British traditional Wicca, and their feelings are that um, only what they uh, generated from the New Forest tradition is is validly Wicca, and that no one oh, else good heavens yeah, no one else <laughs> would be using that phrase. So they don't they don't recognize um, uh, the people claiming to be Wiccan who aren't uh, descended from the British traditional Wicca line. I didn't know that myself for quite some time, and. Then I, I later, later on uh, started getting criticisms about my Wiccan books, and they were saying, you know, that I had no Wiccan training and all that. And I'm going, really, thirty years, thirty plus four <laughs> years? I, <laughs> I kind of thought that was. But then I realized what they were talking about is they they don't acknowledge uh, any of my training or background um, because it doesn't come from their particular lineage, and wow. so they look at American Wicca as not really being Wicca, and they they. They essentially want us to call it something else. How uh, so is anyway, that these... different? How is that any different from the intolerance we get from Christians? Well, that would be you know the argument, and certainly that is an argument on the internet, you know, and it, you know, it just it raises a lot of negativity, and you know, I, I you know, it's something I try to avoid because. You know, people are people, and they want what they want, and, you know, they don't want others to have this or that. So, you know, you, you get into arguments of that nature. Um, you know, I'm not specifically talking about the BTW people, but mm-hmm. just in general, when you when you have somebody, you know, it's like with myself, you know, I come from an Italian witchcraft tradition, but there are people who have beliefs that are different than the way I was taught. And rather than them feeling, okay, well, Raven, we were taught differently. We must come from teachings that, you know, stem from different regions or whatever. Instead of just doing that, they say, well, Raven, then you can't be authentic because what you're talking about has nothing to do with what I know. And I'm like, oh uh, really? That that's that's the <laughs> that's that's the uh, you know that's the sum of it, is it? You know, so it's kind of amusing. Um, and what I what I find even funnier, actually, is uh, in my first book on Italian witchcraft, I specifically said that I was, you know, mixing it with Wicca and what I had been taught at the Italian craft so that I could present things that, you know, really were, you know, relatively unspoken for quite some time, so I sort of watered it down with Wicca. But that was written in the preface or introduction, and I discovered a lot of people don't bother to read the preface <laughs> or introduction. <laughs> So they went all over the internet for quite some time, you know, saying that I was trying to pull this off as pure Italian craft, which I clearly had said, you know, I was not doing in the book. But that remains a, an urban legend to this day, you know, that uh, that I was trying to pull this fraud off. So it's just funny that you mentioned intolerance, and when we do see that among our own people as well, um, this need to be the authority or to be the one true. Um, even when they don't use those words, that's really what's coming across when, when they make these arguments. Mm-hmm. I suspect so, it maybe it comes from a wounding, the deep patriarchal wounding that kind of has this, this thinking in terms of duality always has to be an either or. There can't be something that's an and. That yeah, the paradox yeah. can't be true at the same time, that right. two different Right. Uh, views upon the divine could be equally divine. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, they're they're it's just unfortunate, you know, but um so anyway, what happened, you know, when we moved into the 80s, that became what I called the self-styled era. Because in the 60s and 70s, people were still trying to find traditional things and looking at lineage issues and kind of kind of wanting that rootedness and, and a lot of people were saying that they came from, you know, family traditions. Um, that were ancient, and then people, of course, you know, attack that. Um, but in the 80s, you had writers like Scott Cunningham come along, and his message was um, that you don't need initiation or formal training 
um, our lineage that, you know, everything you need is within you. And if you just go to the God and Goddess, you know, they'll bring that out and, and you can intuit your way into the craft. And so all of a sudden in the 80s, that message became very popular, especially with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always joke it became popular with teenagers because they liked the idea of not having to do the work. <laughs> yeah. it's already in you just go for it you know yeah. so uh, but in the 80s that's what we saw a lot of people came along and then it became the self uh systems you know you people were creating their own ways um arguing for the validity of whatever i create you know is is good for me and and so you, you saw a lot of that in the 80s and this became kind of a war between traditionalists and self-styled people Mm-hmm. And that still is a kind of a rift in the community, unfortunately. Um, people that are self-taught and self-styled <clears throat> tend to um, to look at traditions as, as sort of shackles, you know, sort of a burdensome thing that doesn't allow for your creativity and individuality, which isn't true. Um, they do, but they do in different ways. And then the traditionalists, you know, don't like the idea of self-taught people because they believe that you know, you should have a strong foundation, uh, sort of a consensus of what it means to be a witch or what witchcraft is in order to have some kind of a standard, you know, through which it doesn't uh, get watered down over time. So that became the big kind of war in the in the 80s, and then we went into the 90s, and we just saw more of that. Now, here we are in the 21st century, and some of those battles are still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a little bit more tolerance. Uh, I think we're starting to move towards a balance, um, and, and I'm hoping that that is the direction we continue in, where the, the need to diminish others uh, can fade away and people can just be very confident and assured in what they're doing, and they don't need to attack anybody else who, who thinks differently or has different views. You know, I, I believe in respectful disagreements, and that's how I would like you know it to be. I think if somebody from an Italian tradition, looks at my stuff and says, well, you know, that's that's not what I was taught about Italian witchcraft. It should be left at that. Okay, that's not what you were taught, and this is what I was taught. We don't need to sit down and attack each other and try to invalidate one another. Um, simply nod and say, well, we have respectful disagreements. Apparently, we were taught differently. Well, I found for my own path... I didn't set out to create a tradition. Mm-hmm. The books just simply didn't agree. Not. And that meant that I was kind of left to my own meditations and 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 my friends who would humor me and, <laughs> and um the uh uh the insights I drew from a body worker and and so forth. You know, I wasn't trying to step on anybody's toes. I was trying to make sense of the many um, facets, as you you put it in the last show of this this remarkably uh, intricate crystal of these beautiful different views. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've influenced me a lot, and so has Starhawk in um, uh, her spiral dance, and you in uh, Wiccan magic, and um, a few other primers that I I would uh, recommend. But then I. I, I drew a lot too from even the writings of Alan Watts and and my Chinese medical training, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it all began to coalesce. And so this you can speak in about these different traditions with a similar two symbol that that in mathematics that'll squiggle with the line underneath that it isn't mm-hmm. exactly, but it's similar too. And if you mm-hmm. if you use that kind of equation, then in your thinking about the various traditions, there's more they share in common than the differences they sometimes fixate upon and bicker about. Right, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot more strength and nourishment in our commonalities, you mm-hmm. know, and, and if we could just sort of unite over that, I, I think we'd we'd all be better off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this... The important thing to to think about is, especially now with the coming election, you know, we face a possible uh, very rigid conservative regime taking, you know, power in the White House. Mm -hmm. And these people are not fond of our people. And I I think (laughs) that four years of, uh, you know, the things they're talking about doing now, 
uh, and controlling and getting rid of, you know, that are social things is just astonishing. You know, wiping out Planned Parenthood and uh, mm-hmm. other things, and, you know, they're, they were going to do away with all these things that are anti-biblical, you know, which they, they come out with things like, well, we're against pornography. Well, you know, okay, that, that's, that's something you can always say during a, a political campaign, and people will rally around you. You know, they'll vote for you just because you love Jesus and you hate porn. But, <laughs> but there are other issues to being a president, you know, that they don't look at. And so it's scary for, for folks like us because we may be next on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's interesting that um, part of the byproduct of having an either-or mindset, of either-or view of duality as adversarial is that you have to create an adversary. You have to create right. an enemy even if there isn't one. And if sure. there isn't one, in the absence of one, you will turn on yourself <laughs> or eat your own kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably true. You know, And actually, you know, it's interesting because we see that with the early figures in the the craft movement, you know, like people attacked Gardner and Alex Sanders and, and, and several other, you know, for their, their claims and their positions. Um, you know, it, it was this way of trying to hush that spirit. You know, I, I believe that's, that there is an ancient spirit that's been trying to communicate to us through individuals that, that come into what we might call celebrity status. But there are people that are resistant to that spirit, and they find ways to to be detractors, you know, to to move you away. And so they want to undermine messages that come from these people. So they attack different parts of their character because they can't attack, you know, their their teachings about the craft. So they go after them as people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like I was watching the Bill Maher show, and they were he was talking about how the Republicans have invented an Obama that doesn't exist, like you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they claim that he's for this and that, and they say all these things about him which aren't true, and then they attack this this false image that they've created. Well, their followers, you know, they believe the false image is true, and so to them, you know, this argument makes makes great sense, but it's really just somebody in their imagination having an enemy that doesn't isn't real and wanting other people to rally behind them to attack this imagined enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just an odd thing that uh, humans do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just inventing a them versus us and going back to that uh, uh, denigrating a thou to an it, mm-hmm. uh, taking the sacredness out of it. Um, I have a lot of people come from different uh, uh, practices who come to uh, my circles, and um, we've integrated the practices into our rituals. So we sage with Namyohorengeke, and we, <laughs> um, you know, honor Elikwa, and as as well as uh, Ostara and Karadwin and uh, a few others, um, many others actually. But it, it strikes me that the the difficulty seems to be in there's a a dogma that people who are seeking a a wounding that makes them drag in this either or um, mentality and uh, with them like the old ball and chain they're they're refugees Mm -hmm. from Catholicism or Judaism Mm -hmm. or some other system but they drag the intolerance in with them yeah and I think you know some people in in the craft you know witchcraft Wicca you know have brought kind of their wounds from Christianity into their craft and and I think that this can can be problematic for them you know the 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 old ways are supposed to be you know about connection with the spirit of the land and connection to these ancient beings that are very wise and powerful you know and and Paganism, witchcraft, Wicca are really about liberation and enlightenment and not about guilt and shame and all these things, you know. So um, I, I think that some of that is spilled a little bit, you know, carried over from Christianity into our community. And so some of the arguments still come from these sort of negative bases, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I think we all really need to realize that the, the old ways, 
and the ways that we practice today that, that are rooted in that are really meant to liberate us and free us and make us individuals and yet a community at the same time, you know, and, and not to be this thing of, of divisiveness and one-upmanship and, and diminishing others and detracting from others so that you look better. You know, th- those things belong to other religious views and beliefs. You know, ours should be really about understanding that we're all kind of one within the spirit of this planet. And, you know, to be a witch, to be a pagan, to be a, a Wiccan is all about a connection to something much, much greater. Something that, that as we sometimes say, the goddess of a thousand names. Um, yeah. This, uh, this great no-thing that comprises mm-hmm. all things. Right. Uh, one of the things that I've, that I've also noticed is that um, in talking with, um, with other uh, traditions, that there's, from an administrative standpoint, there's this decision each circle kind of makes. Each circle, as I have come to find out, has its own identity. And it's, it's made up collectively, but it's just like a marriage becomes an entity, mm-hmm. um, bond between two people. The, a circle, becomes an energy entity with its own mind. So, mm-hmm. you you know, you can like to think that you're the priest or priestess of the circle, oh. mm. <laughs> but the circle has a mind of its own and a life of its own, I found out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they I have lifespans. Yeah. And yeah, they can does, also you know, it, die it, it, of various diseases such as negativity, viruses, and things yeah. like that. Um, what do you think has... Um, been the most difficult thing for you in coping with the the controversy that surrounds you um well you know it's it's always an odd thing to have you know people who don't know you have never you know hung out with you or had really any any long term experience with you um have such strong negative feelings about not only your writings but your personal character of which <laughs> they can have no first hand knowledge it's it's a very odd thing. Um, uh-huh. you know, to be an author, obviously, is to have a, a target painted on your back, and I accept <laughs> that. It comes with the territory. But, you know, I appreciate a, a good and valid criticism. You know, sometimes I'll read uh, a review or something that's negative of one of my books, and I'll, I'll get it. I'll go, oh, I see why you think that, and, you know, I, I can see why, if you thought that, you would feel this way. And I go, yeah, that, that's a good review from your understanding of the book, more properly your misunderstanding of the book, but at least <laughs> uh-huh. you read it, you know. But I find a lot of people review books and they don't read it, they skim read it. And mm-hmm. then they think they know what they're talking about when they review a book, but clearly they can't because <laughs> they skim read it. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll miss things in the book, and so people will argue, well, you know, if the author had only said this, well, he did in the parts you skipped. <laughs> you know, well, certainly um, in 13, so it, 14 odd... books, you've said some. <laughs> you've covered a lot of points. <laughs> well, it's interesting. But, you know, it's It's just very odd to have people that don't know you or, like I said, have an experience, a direct experience long-term with you that um, have such strong feelings. It's just odd, I think. Well, you know, And then, then there's weird things like um, there was some person on the Internet had written something where, they had like a two-and-a-half-minute experience with me in which um, they were selling herbs. And I said, um, oh, is that fennel? And they said, no, it's dill. And I said, oh, I, I look like fennel. I thought it was fennel. That was the conversation. Okay. <laughs> Later on, they did this whole thing on the Internet about how I had come along and insisted that this thing was fennel and that this person had grown the seeds from dill and knew damn well it was a dill plant. And I had the audacity to stand there and argue with her that that was fennel, and she'll never ever buy a Raven Gramassi book because she finds me to be an arrogant bore. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really, over that little, uh, oh, I thought that was fennel, I'm sorry, you know, that turns into this huge thing. And, and it's funny because people will come away um, with that, and you wonder, were they predisposed to to wanting that, or how did that happen? You know, so these are the odd things you deal with as an author. But fortunately, right. you know, you you also get the people that come to you and say, you know what, 
your book really helped me or this thing, this technique you gave was so, you know, um, good for me and I needed it and changed things. And, you know, you hear that and then you realize that the work you do is, is worthy, you know, that you're doing something good and it, it, it helps, you know, when you, when you hear the snarky people. Um, it helps to know that there's a lot of people who really um, are, are gaining something from, uh, you know, what we put out there as authors. I can absolutely tell you, you have been one of the main influences on my thinking and practice. So I, I deeply am grateful to you for all of the time and effort and hard study you, you put in to bring us this knowledge. And I'm just, um, always, always privileged to come in contact with you, whether it's just to see you at Pentheacon or bring you up to date on my <laughs> book that, that never seems to end or. <laughs> Yeah, well, or whatever. You. I thank you so very, very much for coming. And um, you can reach um, Raven through www.fellowshipofthepentacle.com or ravengramasi.net and very soon House of Gramasi. Um, if you haven't looked at his books, please do. They are a treasure. And if you have an opportunity to hear this man speak, Go see him uh, live. He's awesome, and it's just been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much, Raven. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So um, thank you all for listening. I really, really appreciate your support. The show's doing great. So if you... Um, want to find out a little bit more about being on the show or being um, a sponsor, info at suzypeltier.com for some details. Also, uh, visit me uh, or visit my Facebook page, Taoist Wicca. There's an Ostara video and a little um, uh, blurb on Ostara in case you wonder what the heck I'm talking about with that. <laughs> and um, Spirit Spiritual Seekers Radio. Um, is it also a Facebook page? Thank you, everyone, so much. The magic is in you. And go plant some wonderful seeds of joy and love in your life. They're bound to happen. Take care. Bye-bye. Merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Spiritually Speaking, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Needs. Please join Susie Peltier again next Monday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. Have a wonderful week.